Hey everybody, welcome to Biropod Presents, The Postman, in three acts. My name's Byron Hussey, and I'm joined by the resident postman expert, postman superfan, and a fan of the mail in general, James Chiefs. <laughs> Thank you, I am indeed a fan of the mail. James... When did you first realize that you loved mail? Um, it was, I think, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> when, when I, yeah, when I decided that I was going to watch The Postman in the middle of the night. Now, did you set out to watch The Postman specifically, or did you stumble upon it on Netflix? Um, I wanted to watch uh, like post-apocalyptic films because. It was November, and, you know, like, something about that month just kind of made me feel that sort of post-apocalyptic vibe. I can't really put my finger on it. What What is it that's apocalyptic about November? It, uh, you, you may recall uh, there was an election oh, right, um, right. in the United is, States. This is political. I didn't realize you were being political. Okay. So you felt like it was we were sort of living through the dystopian uh, future that has been portrayed countless times in, in cinema. So you were yes, and, and I that. feel that um, what we really need right now is a is a postman to um, uh, encourage us to believe again in um, America. A, a beacon of hope, um, yeah. symbolized by a civil servant. Yeah, which kind of a it was kind of an odd choice. Um, for although maybe it was a smart choice because I was thinking, um, you know, people on the right kind of won't like it because it's sort of it's the government and mm-hmm. it's bureaucracy and and then I don't know, um, it, but then it seems like the sort of movie that wouldn't appeal to people on the left either because it's very mawkish and it's like appeals to oh you know the, the United States and the flag and it, so. Um, it seemed to me there's a, perhaps a little bit of a, a libertarian undercurrent as well. Would you say that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the um, only reason I said that is because somebody at some point said live for your front, for, live for your die. Um, yeah. Which is, of course, the motto of New Hampshire, which leans very libertarian. But then again, this is really about how uh, public uh, services are good. So Yeah. Yeah, this is basically the opposite of libertarian. It it was was just like Costner kind of being savvy about um, trying to make a a movie that doesn't really, you know, alienate any one political uh, point on the spectrum. It happened Um, to end up alienating everyone because it just isn't very good. Um, Yes. So The Postman was released in 1997. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is based on a book by David Brin, yeah, the same name, which was published in 1985. And this is, it's kind of like a Battlefield Earth situation where they, they only adapted part of the book, I understand. Okay, so it's not, even though it's three hours long, 
they somehow uh, yeah. weren't able to get the whole book in there. Okay. Yeah, the 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 bit that's left out is something to do with, and I think it's kind of like a Wizard of Oz situation where like an AI is running a town, um, but it's really just a bunch of scientists. That sounds better. They should have put that in. <laughs> so, a little bit of background on on the uh, the lore of the Postman. It's it's one of two back to back expensive blockbuster attempts. <laughs> by Kevin Costner in the mid-90s, which mm. both failed spectacularly. Well, I mean, sure. Don't, don't they say that Waterworld was very successful on home video? I suppose. The budget of The Postman was $80 million, and it had a $17.6 million box office. So, of course, you mentioned, so Waterworld is the first of those two movies that one had a budget of 172 million which was wow. unheard of at the time although it looks like it did make 264 million so yeah i i guess it wasn't as big of a flop as people remember yeah which kind of like you you would think just uh on the face of oh you know Waterworld is like renowned for being this disaster why on earth would like basically the very next year a studio decided to give Costner, you know, the the reins on another huge, you know, post-apocalyptic movie. Like, you would have thought that would have been, like, a no-brainer to say no to that. But, you know, like, at the time, I think he was kind of at the height of his career and he'd won an Oscar for Dances with Wolves. So, like, he was kind of still riding high. Yeah. Um, and, and still, like, a box office draw. So it kind of makes a little more sense. Yeah, and um, I think Waterworld, to be fair, they, the budget sort of spiraled out of control because of all the uh, water shooting they had to do. Like, I remember hearing lots of uh, horror stories about the actual difficulties of the production, like, on the sea. Mm-hmm. And I think they actually thought that James Cameron's Titanic was going to be similar, similarly disastrous um, because it also had some very expensive, uh, obviously water, um, like ocean cinematography. Um, but of course that was the, one of the most successful movies yeah. of all time. So the, the curse of Poseidon didn't, uh, didn't materialize in that instance. But apparently it's pretty expensive to, to film movies on the water. But back to the postman. So... The Postman was a huge failure and um, pretty much pretty much killed Kevin Costner's career. Uh, I mean, he's been somewhat active since, but he never quite reclaimed his uh, sort of box office golden boy status that he got from being in movies like Robin mm-hmm. Hood, Prince of Thieves, yeah. um, Field of Dreams. Uh oh, dances with wolves, of course. Dances with wolves, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I was kind of thinking since then. Um, he was in Swing Vote, uh, in two thousand eight, which I was trying to remember earlier. That's another example of, I think, a film where Kevin Costner very deliberately tries to make a film that appeals to people about politics, but without 
making it a partisan, divisive film. So he tries to, you know, cross the aisle, right? In terms of, so I guess that's uh, you could say that that's sort of like a a, a theme of his career. It it seems so. Although I don't think I saw Swing Vote, and I have no idea. And neither did I. So actually, I might be completely wrong. It's a it's a movie where uh, only one guy decides the who will be the next president. Oh. And, um, oddly enough, it's also a, a, a film that I kind of wanted to to see after November, but I don't think it's on Netflix. That sort of reminds me of uh, there's a TV show on now with um, uh, what's his name Jack Bauer. Uh, Twenty four. Oh, oh, you mean um, uh, designated survivor? Yeah. With, um, you know, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. Right, where it's sort of like. Uh, it's sort of like this idealized version of like, okay, we sort of d- duck out of the standard political process, um, but get like a good result as a, a from from that. Mm-hmm. Like like democracy is sort of taken out of the equation, but we get this like one good person doing something good. Um, I don't actually watch that, but uh, I, and I had to kind of stop, kind of stop after um, the Trump election because uh, I just couldn't take Bit it. Bit depressing. Yeah. Yeah. It also wasn't very good. <laughs> terrible, terrible supporting cast. So, Postman, yeah. we're doing this yeah. uh, in three parts because it's really long. Oh boy. So we're gonna pre- let him pretend it's like it's a, a three-part trilogy. Mm-hmm. Which it if, sort of kind of works like that. Yeah, I was surprised because I've only watched the first hour so far, and it actually wrapped things up nicely for the first act <laughs> at the end of the first hour mark. If yeah, if the Postman were indeed a trilogy, what would the title of the first movie be? Uh, there and back again. No. Um, uh, well, I was thinking that um, it kind of seems to segment pretty naturally in terms of the the lo- the location filming. Right. So he goes. He starts in the desert on the salt flats of Utah in this first bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he kind of goes to to lush Oregon in the second bit, and then in the third bit he's uh, wandering around all over the place. So it kind of goes from like a very like barren arid sort of you could believe it it's a post-apocalyptic landscape to um something that's you know very green and lush there's lots of mountains lots of waterfalls it's all you know stunningly shot um and you can kind of see the cinematography echoing the film's theme of you know the united states getting better right through through the, the magic of a man yeah, but in answer to your question of what it should be called, I have no idea. All right. Well, maybe we'll we'll revisit that. <laughs> um, so the the basic premise of the movie is that we're it's the year's 2013, which is now the past. <laughs> uh, that's always fun when in science fiction movies you sort of catch up with and and eclipse the uh, the 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 far future date they've come up with. Um, mm-hmm. To be fair, this one was intended to be more of a near future. Um, yeah, it was like 16 years, I think. But 
that was actually, I think, one of the, the most idiotic parts of it is clearly there hasn't actually been enough time for things to sort of deteriorate as much as it did. Um, yeah. But there was, so I guess there's, the, the apocalypse event is never really clarified, but it's, no. it was something called, what was it, like the Doom War? Uh, yeah, the, there's an opening narration, which subsequently isn't mentioned at all. Um, uh, the, uh, it's, it's the, the, the wholeness is he's the Nathan Holm is the, the guy that's supposed to be responsible for, for it all somehow. He was responsible for the doom war. Um, I mean, it's sort of not clear to me, but I, I think he kind of, uh, took advantage of a society that was on the brink. The, uh, the wiki summary says Mm. that in 1998, an unspecified apocalyptic event known as the doom war erased almost all technology and caused societal collapse, sending continents Mm -hmm. back to the, the dark ages. Pockets of survivors in more rural areas have formed small villages to maintain, etc. Yeah, yeah. So, is Holm, did he cause the Doom War, or was he just sort of like uh, an opportunist after the... Uh, uh, well, Doom yeah, War? I think the idea is he's an opportunist. Because right. um, uh, I can't uh, remember exactly now, but I remember Bryn had like some point with the novel that it wasn't the... Like Nathan Holm didn't uh, didn't orchestrate the downfall of society, but he just like kind of took advantage of it because I don't know the like society had disintegrated. And was, uh, I don't know. So, so basically, um, you're saying there's a there's probably another Trump metaphor in there, just just oh, waiting to look to peek out. We are just gonna be just drowning in those. So <laughs> it's like stay Trump tuned, didn't, everyone. Didn't cause himself to be elected but he uh, he certainly benefited from the events that caused him yeah. to be elected it's a happy accident oh so happy so um so very happy so the so the first act sets up um our our protagonist he um mm-hmm. now he he starts out with a mule which is his best friend yeah who you think will be his constant companion throughout the right. whole, but boy, would you be no, mistaken. No. It's, it's very sad, but we can get to <laughs> It's probably because so, mules are quite expensive to film with. Yeah. Much like water. Although they did have some, like, horses, but horses are kind of oh, interchangeable. Yeah, yeah, and they're better behaved. That's true. Um, so, like, one of the... F- very first things that we see, not even 30 seconds into this movie, is kind of, I think, sort of um, representative of something that happens a lot in this movie. It's just mm-hmm. like these kind of totally inexplicable, like, what the fuck moments. Right. And in this case, I'm talking about uh, we have this long distance shot of Kevin Costner jumping on some sort of trampoline. Oh, in the middle of the yeah, I think that was a diving board. Yeah, a, a, a diving board, that, that makes sense. And he's just jumping on it. 
Yeah. It was, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, uh, just like playing with the idea that like there, there's no people here and it's like abandoned stuff and he's just kind of mm-hmm. goofing around. Uh, it's very artistic. I mean, sure. It certainly does, um, uh, set up this character as being like a, uh, an irreverent, uh, sort of goofball. Yeah. Which he is. So he's unnamed as yet and um basically he's like a a nomad um who avoids society where he can but performs shakespeare for people for food occasionally yeah um and and also before we see any other people we also get that shot of a lion for some reason that looks like it's supposed to symbolize something but i'm damned if i can figure out what it's meant to symbolize yeah it isn't clear to me why why the lion was there i guess like the like when society collapsed all the zoos like yeah all the animals escape he does show up later and and that's the explanation that's given there must have been a, a zoo near here but i still don't know why he's there so it's probably symbolic of um, something, but we don't know what. Yeah. Okay. Um, let Would... us know in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that this uh, this podcast is destined to be as 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 much of a oh, uh, yeah. a, uh, a failure in terms Some of success um, <laughs> audience size as the postman itself. Actually, much more. I don't think we're going to make seventeen million dollars from this podcast. Although, well, prove me wrong, sense. folks. Send us the money. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's, he's got um, great rapport with this with this donkey. Um, yeah, the uh, his relationship with the donkey was very similar to um, Sven and Olaf from the sure. Disney animated feature Frozen. Mm-hmm. From 2000 and, um, what, 14? Uh, uh, sure. Yeah? D- yes. Although he doesn't make the donkey talk like no. um, Sven or Olaf did. I don't know what which was which. And um, I noticed the, the donkey's name is Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think uh, he was named after President Clinton? Ooh. Yes, the donkey Democrat. Donkey. Exactly, that's what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah, that's that's smart. So that's like he's symbolic of the last vestige <laughs> of the political order of the old world, and uh, he's like an old friend. But we yeah. we have to say goodbye because um, he keeps drinking turpentine. Yeah. Um. Uh. So. Um, he, uh, he, he brushes the teeth of the donkey, which is, uh... You gotta do that. Uh, yeah, apparently. Yeah, it's good for don- the hygiene, the donkey. Uh, he, and now, uh, when they, he, he finds a TV in a gas station. Did this seem odd at all to you? Uh, was it working? It was working, and it had shows on it. Yeah. I didn't remember that. I, I skipped around a little bit, but I, <laughs> I'm sure it shouldn't have happened. He shouldn't um, have been able to do that. 
Do you, do you feel like maybe we've got like a sort of proto example of maybe like a Netflix happening mm. here? Like maybe he was predicting that uh, in the year 1998, people would just be able to store shows on their TVs. Yes. Or... Yes. They got it. He, he, there was a DVR. Yeah. It was a TiVo. He was watching an old TiVo. What um, was on the TV? Do you recall? It was Days of Our Lives. Huh. I'm not sure why uh, somebody would have TiVo that. <laughs> Days of Our Lives. Is that a is that a soap opera? Yeah, you know, like Sands Through the Hourglass. Yeah. Okay. Somebody TiVo Days of Our Lives. Okay. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> not a plot hole. Uh, and. Um... Uh, then, like, we're not even 10 minutes in, and I've already got another one of these what-the-fuck moments mm-hmm. that I'm just going to keep mentioning all the time. Yes. Um, uh, and it's it's kind of, uh, like, meta. He says to the donkey, what are you so worried about? All you got to do is stand there. I'm the one with all the lines. Right. And this is before we know he's an actor or anything. So <laughs> just looks like Kevin Costner is looking to his co-star and saying... What are you so worried about? Is this um, is this before or after the gas station scene? This this is after the gas this station. Is brushing. I did want to mention in the gas station. It was a um, seventy six gas station. Uh, he found a bunch of cigarettes. Oh yeah. And he said, "I'm rich." Um, I don't think that pays off later, does it? No, it's it's not mentioned. It I could guess. be a meta reference to cigarettes being, I think, a form of currency in Waterworld. Oh, although right, actually, just, yeah. I think it was dirt. I think dirt was the currency in Waterworld. Th- that was right, yeah, because because everything was uh, under the ground. Right, it's a really under stupid, the water. Uh, stupid currency. <laughs> like, it, like whoever thought of that, like, didn't understand. Um, how money works <laughs> um well uh clearly they didn't understand either here because uh he doesn't trade the cigarettes for food or anything well he smokes them does he is, yeah. is that what he's doing when he's sitting on top of yeah, the he sits on the, the uh, gas station roof of the gas station and enjoys a smoke and I, I remember actually some some uh emergent controversy around sort of casual smoking in movies, yeah. and I guess that, that hadn't happened happen yet now. because this is just like a totally gratuitous, un- gratuitous, unnecessary advertisement mm. for how enjoyable cigarettes are. <laughs> um, well, it, w- it would have been around now because um, uh, 1997 uh, mm-hmm. was the year Never Dies came out, and Pierce Brosnan famously did not smoke as James Bond, I believe. I think he had like a cigar one time and die another day because he was in Cuba. Yeah. Um, and in Tomorrow Never Dies, he punches out a guy who's smoking and says, filthy habit. This is one liner. So I, it was definitely a thing. It was happening. It, it was probably still in the, on, the, on the cusp. Um, right. But, I mean, like, cigarettes were, were like, prominent in Waterworld, too. But, like, for mm. no good reason. Like, they, like the, water's, the, the whole <laughs> world is flooded. I don't think they're going to salvage any cigarettes. Like, where are they getting the cigarettes? Maybe there was still um, the. This was still in the days when studios were getting money for it. Because I know now um, we we get the disclaimer at the end of films that you know no compensation was uh, was given for the 
portrayal of tobacco products in the film, but you know yeah, we don't have that in the nineties. So could be just like gener- like from the tobacco lobby. Yeah, like just like let's keep it in the uh, in the culture for a while as long as yeah, we let's, can. Hey, let's. Yeah. Hey, still, still fun. Still a good, good, still pleasurable. Can help you relax. Yeah. So another thing about the uh, the gas station scene is that the uh, the gas station sign was sort of like bent, which uh, mm-hmm. you know made it look like it was post apocalyptic and all. But like, how would that that have happened? Like, did a meteor hit was, it? I thought it was a design choice. No, I think it was like a like a like a symbolic oh, decay. Okay. Um, you know that's a good question. Yeah, did like somebody jump a car into it and it just bent the pole <laughs> um uh maybe it was someone threw their donkey uh, i don't know okay i'll talk you know what maybe we can keep a list of questions i can ask uh kevin costner, costner. yeah yeah at some point if i ever get a chance to uh interview him well he's slated to appear on uh, episode two isn't he yes Yes, yeah. I, I hope he doesn't back out. <laughs> so we get to the um, the scene where he's brushing the donkey's teeth, and mm-hmm. he's going to um, put on a show for a village of people. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it's it's. Do you think it's one of those things that they constructed for the because there, there's like a bunch of like huts down there, and I guess it seems like the sort of thing that you could build, but it also seems like the sort of thing that might have already been there. And um, I I think in in this respect the film is actually quite well made because I like I can't tell with a lot of that stuff like whether mm-hmm. it's you know existing structures or whether they built it special. It's a good question. Um, I would imagine that they could have gone either way. Should okay. we add this to the list of questions for yes. Kevin Costner? Okay, Please. that's on the list. Did Perhaps they I build get that Blu-ray village so that I can watch the behind-the-scenes documentaries on all of this? Yeah, um, I bet that's out there somewhere. Yeah. So, Postman puts on a little show for this village. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of his acting? Uh, well, he, he seems to um, get the lines wrong occasionally. Yeah. Do you so think this is based uh, on I guess your, that's part of his method? Your familiarity with um, with Shakespeare? Or was this communicated yeah, somehow and, in the movie? That and the lady playing the piano feeds him the lines and he ignores her. Oh. How did she know? Uh, well, she was, you know, elderly, so she... Right. she and she knew piano, so presumably she was some sort of teacher. Okay. Previously, or something. Um, so he 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 puts his own little spin on on the lines from Macbeth, like a tale told by a moron, <laughs> and and such. I guess that's the um, sort of like a, an indicator of that we've moved back to kind of an oral tradition of storytelling, oh, yeah. where the where the sort of the content can sort of shift and evolve over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we, we, since we've, we're no longer in a world that uses the written word yeah. um, after 
you know. Because for some reason you uh, you can't uh, print things anymore. Well, the apocalypse, apocalypse, you know. Who's going to yeah. remember how to build a, like a pen or a printing yeah, press or something? Tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's like the uh, the burning of the Library of Alexandria. I yeah, guess. it's just like that. So I I, um, I couldn't tell if he was a bad actor or was like act was it, if it was a Kevin Costner acting as the postman as a bad actor. <laughs> um, I, I I think it uh, was probably uh, like a deliberate choice on the part of postman. Yeah, because we know that um, if Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is any indication, that of course Kevin Costner could nail like yeah. a British accent. Tremendous. And Tremendous. like Shakespearean uh-huh. dialect and um, really convincingly. Yeah. Um, the donkey, however, on the other hand, seems to have a little bit of trouble, I think. And I think in this scene, maybe we're kind of seeing uh, glimpses of... of perhaps why it's difficult to work with animals. I think right. uh, Costner kind of, um, he improvises around it, but like mm-hmm. he has to kind of, the, the donkey like won't let go of the, the sword that he puts in his mouth and he has to kind of fiddle with him and then you can see the shot kind of ends. So it seems like it's kind of been edited so that uh, we see the best of the donkey's performance. Yeah. If this, um, or sorry, I should say when this movie is rebooted, yeah. Um, I think that they should do a full full uh, CG donkey. Oh, you, okay. You don't have those kinds of problems with like a with yeah. an animated character, so they can do like a full convincing rendering of a donkey. I'm not talking like Shrek yeah. donkey, although that would be good too. That would be an interesting twist. Um, but you know, when this is redone, then you can get a lot more mileage out of the uh, the donkey character. Yeah, and with a with a good solid performer like a Kevin Costner, he will be able to interact with it as though it were a real donkey. Yeah, I mean, given given his experience, too, I w- I wouldn't even rule out getting Eddie Murphy to do the like the mocap for the donkey, and maybe like yeah. some of the like he won't talk, but he could do like the sounds. Like you get Andy Serkis to be in your Planet of the Apes movie. Well, yeah, what you could do no you get Andy Serkis to coach Eddie Murphy because he's uh, he does that too absolutely yeah so let's why don't we actually propose this to Kevin when we talk to him okay so you're saying that we're kind of shifting from I don't know some sort of like film criticism operation to actually where we're, we're we're angling to produce now I mean, I just don't want to close any Is doors. That the con? You know, okay. we can do yeah. we can do both. I think. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. I mean, it might be a little bit of a conflict of interest now. If we're hoping to produce <laughs> the Postman reboot, we might be more inclined to sort of puff it up a little bit, like hmm. as one of the greatest films of all time, which it was. Yes. Um, and it's already happening. See, in real time. So the donkey. Um, is difficult to work with. Um, but, but it's okay because the children love it. For the most part, people seem to enjoy the play. 
Yeah. Um, they're, they're easy to please. One little girl says inexplicably after the performance, I want to talk to him. <laughs> Are you then, talking about the donkey? Well, maybe, yeah. Maybe she just remembers uh, Kevin Costner from before the end of the world. She was like a really yeah, big uh, Tin Cup fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that doesn't pay off. She doesn't talk to him, does she? No, and in fact, I don't believe she subsequently appears in any more scenes, so that's a shame for her. That's just, you know, that's just like background acting, James. You have to understand. This is, yeah. we add this, we in the trade, we add these kinds of moments to sort of mm -hmm. uh, bolster the, the sense of realism. Where, yeah, you know, nice people are constantly voice. wanting to meet Kevin Costner. How would you not yeah. want to? He's very handsome. Quite, quite masculine. Yeah, rugged, rugged masculinity, but also like, and yet soft. he is. Well, yeah, yes, he's 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 approachable. He's relatable. Soft-spoken, um, even-tempered. Kind of weirdly sensitive about his acting. Yeah, he does have a lot. Of, he has a lot of sadness in his eyes, even when like in neutral moments. Well, I was meaning more specifically, he didn't respond well to the criticism in the subsequent scene. <laughs> from the man yeah, who so says after, he, he's, Shakespeare stunk. Yeah, so after the uh, performance, he's sort of heckled by um, some random villager. Um, it's funny because in the... Um, he, was, he was talking to this woman first, and she was like, I haven't ever seen Shakespeare. And he's like, you still haven't. <laughs> so like he's being humble and in the very next in the very yeah. same scene this guy approaches and starts heckling him about um how <laughs> how much he sucks um and and he well, gets how much did you really offended it, buddy yeah he was like how much yeah. did you pay to get in larry bite me larry <laughs> really thin skin go figure um well he's human you know, that's those are the kinds of human moments that's right. we look for in contradictory. Cinema. Well, yeah, yeah when, when nobody's perfect. You know, indeed. One minute you're up, the next minute you're down. You're telling Larry to bite me. That's right. He also has a gun, so he could have shot Larry, and he didn't. Does he have a gun? I don't know if he had it on him in that scene but he did have like a rifle oh okay could I just jump back to the gas station for a moment okay he was startled in the gas station by what yes. turned out to be a deer yes a woodland um, creature do you think that he might have in reality tried to uh, shoot the deer to eat and it and eat it yeah yeah like he's Perhaps probably presumably starving to death, right? Yeah, and uh, he doesn't. Well, maybe the maybe he figures the de deer's meat is tainted the same way that the water was almost tainted. Sort of like in um, uh, what? Oh, jeez, what's what's the uh, popular was, the, uh, Fallout? Fallout. Fall, in yeah. Fallout, when you uh, like eat the the roach meat you get some rads yeah and you have to take some rad x 
It's pretty similar to I'm, Fallout. Yeah, um, you've got the. Um, I've never played Fallout. The, in the most recent um, Fallout Fallout Four, there's a group of survivors called the uh, the Minutemen, the militia, and they dress well, up in like. It's very postman esque. They're like dressed in like um, like Civil War, yeah, uniforms. Which I figure films like this probably like exclusively, uh, you know, draw upon the the Civil War reenactors in order to fill out their extras who can ride horses and wear uniforms and handle rifles and so forth. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a deep well they can draw from. Just just grown men that that love uh, getting dressed up in Plant costumes. Soldier. Yeah, and uh, you know having battles or something. <laughs> um, so around about at this point, um, uh, we're, we're introduced to the villain of the piece. Yes. General Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Who is just an all-round creep. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, Played by uh, so, Will Patton. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Patton, that's his name. Yeah, Will Patton. Will Patton, um, and and people say it's a very good performance. I, I guess I guess I agree. Yeah, he's not bad. Yeah, I I I would say that I have issue with um uh some of the things that he's forced to say and do, but we'll get right. to that. Right. But I mean, yeah, he 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 carries carries off the wall, the role well. He's, yeah, and he, and I mean, if you if you're looking for like a a a villain who's like insecure in his masculinity and and uh, is like um, brutal, but also kind of like has this veneer of of um, elitist sophistication. Then, mm-hmm. well, the guy the guy carries it off. That's, yeah, he did that's, it. That's, 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 that's him. He made that work. Uh, and and uh, so he comes into this scene and almost immediately. Uh, gives the kids a, a, a creepy smile and, and, and like reassures them. It's all right, children. Show, show me, show me what it is you're, you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird that he like immediately started looking at the kids Were they like implying that he's a, like a creeper there. Like what, what does he care what the kids are doing? Well, I think it was because it, the kid had a sword. Right. But like, who, who cares? Like kids else. have like stupid, like toys and stuff. Like if you're like just a, like a normal adult, you, you you just walk past it. It's, like, it's not a big deal. Like it, All right. Okay. Well, but, but is that what they were trying to convey? Deep. Like that he was like creeping on the kids? I I, I wasn't getting that personally. But, okay. Um, I guess like I mean, we, he has a lot of power, so if he wanted like a, a harem of children, he could he could do it, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Maybe that, this is that, something we could work into the reboot. That's like what just, I was wondering. Like, we probably want to be careful with Mr. Costner. We we don't want to off-put him with um, any of the avenues that we're going down in terms right. of analysis right now. Right. Okay. We'll we'll dial that back. We'll dial that back. Um. By the way, Postman was released Christmas Day, nineteen ninety-seven. So that we're coming up on the nineteenth uh, anniversary. Yeah. 
So really an appropriate uh, Christmas special subject. Yeah, absolutely. This is a Christmas special. Yeah. It is now. I think it, 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 it will be the Christmas special by default, won't it? Because we're not doing anything else. Um, we could do something else. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Figure um, something out. So, I've got, I've got uh, that whole week after Christmas off, so... Oh, good. Can't wait to <laughs> watch lots of Elf. It's going to be a constant Elf. Elf marathon. So, you mentioned um, earlier that uh, the Postman managed to, like, alienate everyone in spite of its attempt to, to be broadly appealing. Um, one group that I know that it did alienate uh, is white supremacists. Interesting. Go on. Yes. Um, I found um, uh, a website that looked like something pretty much out of 1997 mm -hmm. uh, that contained a little essay on uh, why the postman sucked because it uh, was an anti-racist film that, that demonized white supremacists. Right. Well, it did. Yes, it did. And that didn't make this white supremacist with, with excellent web design skills very happy. Yeah. Um, so the villain uh, here, General Bethlehem, is a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. He um, says that the, the conscripts for his army have to be of suitable ethnic foundation, and he rejects one of them for looking like, did he say oriental or mongoloid? mongoloid? Yeah. Yeah. Very offensive. Very lovely. offensive term. So wait, just backing up a second. The scene, the, mm -hmm. the scene we're at is so the the holnists, as they're called, called holnists. Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a stupid name, right? Holnists. It's like it doesn't sound good yeah. at all. I would rewrite I think that. Bryn, I think this is probably like a David Brin touch, where um, it kind of sounds like the like what a motivational speaker might call his his groupies. Right. Which I get it. The idea was Nathan Holm, the 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 founder of this movement, um, you, was a motivational speaker. Right, but you're 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 writing a, a piece of fiction and you have to invent a name. You know, you think of Holm, and you think, eh, it's hard to say. Maybe it sounds like you're saying Holm. Maybe you think of a few more names. Maybe like, you know, <laughs> just, just don't stop there. You know, this is not this just doesn't sound good. But um, so the so the army is called the Holmists. And the general is uh, Bethlehem. And so they march into this town where Kevin Costner's postman happens Just to have been. Uh, some soup. Yeah, he was he was enjoying a, some, some soup after his performance. And he tries to escape the town because he does not want to be involved with this army. And mm -hmm. the army marches in and demands three new conscripts. So that's where mm. we get to this, uh, this sort of race, racial purity test, which, um, yeah, it's interesting because it's, it's definitely like a, a good touch, but the, it's, it's very like, um, the movie isn't about yeah. like well, racial intolerance. It's a sort of like a detail. <laughs> I'd say it's perhaps, I'd say perhaps heavy-handed, but yeah. um, I, I guess that's debatable. Um, I mean, course, like, someone... let's face it. If there was like yeah. a militia that formed in 
like oh they probably would the be United racist States. yeah for sure they probably would be so so go. sorry go ahead i i interrupted you um so someone who obviously does pass the racial purity test is hollywood leading man kevin costner right who is conscripted into the army in spite of his attempt uh to flee the town mm-hmm. um, well there's another scene um let's see what was the uh character's name he's Clearly, um, clearly an African American, but yeah, um, he was not detected as such. Um, yeah, I, I was surprised by that. Like he didn't. Like I mean, he looks unambiguously like he's light skinned, but like, aren't racists just... really good at detecting <laughs> like the least bit of like they like they jump to the the conclusion even if there's like. Even if you're not uh, a minority, that if you mm. look like one, they'll just treat you as an, as one anyway. Um, I mean, I guess it might just be the difficulty of casting a role like that, where you have to um, get some sort of mixed race appearance, and it has to be obvious to the audience. But, but like, it's it's tricky because you know people all look a certain way, and you've got to cast someone. Yeah. Uh, and furthermore, bad. probably just bad um, writing. Go on. <laughs> furthermore i think it might be uh that the the thing that kind of racists are always like hypocrites or like inconsistently apply yeah it's true it's very true sort of like it's it's all it's all like it's all bullshit so what why are you holding them to a standard that would imply that there's any logic to it yeah okay i like that so the 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 mixed race african-american gentleman gets conscripted as well and he, um, crucially, we kind of skipped this over, but he was in the audience uh, for the play and he heard the postman say the line, um, something rack, at least we'll die with the harness off our back. Right, right. Which comes into Come play. Back, is it? Yeah. Um, yes. So he, he overhears that. Um, did, is, did, um, did Giovanni Rabisi get conscripted from this village? Or did he... I don't think he's from this town. Okay. So we we meet him later. But yeah, in, um in about a minute. Costner tries to escape, but a um a mentally handicapped uh, yes, individual. Yes, a Down syndrome guy. Yeah. Why 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 was that like that? <laughs> There was a guy with Down yeah. syndrome that was waving at him. Back and... in the day, um, they used to they used to say that uh, uh, someone with Down syndrome was a, a mongoloid. You know, I had that same thought. I was afraid to bring it up because I thought it might not be politically correct. But do you think they were going for something there, or is this just uh, a coincidence? You know, I don't. I don't actually know why. I mean, I, I guess it's uh, always good to provide uh, uh, roles for yeah, that's for true. People with Down syndrome because there probably aren't a lot of them. But doesn't didn't the role sort of like turn him into a nuisance? Well, maybe, but it's sort of endearing, <laughs> isn't it? I, I guess. Um, so Kevin Costner's cover is blown, and he is indeed beaten on the head. And conscripted into Ouch. the wholest army, which 
Yeah. Is headquartered in a quarry. Yeah. Which we much was this was this perhaps the location of uh, of the of the final fight scene of of um, the Legend of the Skeleton's Curse. Oh, oh, it may well have been. No, that's actually a a quarry in um, West Roxbury, Massachusetts, which Boston. I, I understand doesn't exist anymore. The quarry it got like to condos or something. No, no, it's still there. Still there. Okay. It's tough to uh, it's tough to fill in a quarry. It's a giant hole in the ground. That's true. Um, and uh, filming this, uh, we we get the 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 opening shot that they do is like these huge mounds. Which I thought must have been CG because there was no way that there would be like these big perfect mounds there. But I'm told mm-hmm. that that's actually kind of what quarries look like because yeah. I mean you got to put the dirt to dig up somewhere. Yeah, basically. I mean, like it, it looked like they were the actual um, rocks they were grinding. Yeah. They just keep them in giant piles. But certainly an arresting image. Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, good good location uh, scouting there. By uh, mm-hmm. who do you who do you reckon was the uh, location scout? on the postman uh giovanni Ribisi. um <laughs> that's the wikipedia page that i have open right now um that's giovanni yeah okay let's say he did it yeah uh and so then we we meet mr Ribisi as well as all the other uh conscripts um and he he plays a weasel in this right. one i don't know is that kind of his his normal uh shtick um, I think it was in his minor roles in the um in the nineties. I think he uh he sort of um grew grew out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. He had some, some pretty prominent roles. He was in um what, like uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, which um, I've not seen, so I don't know. He actually was in Friends. He played uh-huh. a young man that was like dating, I think like Phoebe's mother or something. Oh, oh, was he it was like a winter summer thing? That, um, uh, that said, "Can I have the crusts cut off my sandwich, please?" Maybe. Yeah, I I remember that scene, which is weird because I don't remember a lot of Friends. Yeah, I don't either. I remember Marcel the monkey. I, I hate I hated it. I hated that. <laughs> I remember uh, David Schwimmer whining about Marcel the monkey a lot. Which I Wasn't also that hated. his monkey? Yeah, it was his monkey. It was his pet monkey. And he, and he whined about it. He was a well, capuchin. Yeah. You're not supposed to have exotic pets. It's a bad example to set. No. Ross. Fucking asshole. I, I just watched... Um, I just watched American Psycho recently as well, and they have a Vietnamese pot-bellied pig in that. Yeah, I think those are okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I think that those are like those are pretty well domesticated. I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, nothing goes wrong there. I mean, like pigs themselves are like livestock. They they've they've been shaped by humanity. Just, I, I don't yeah. think captured monkeys are just like humans. plucked from the uh, the jungles. So I don't think we yeah. have any rights there. We, I think we have infinite rights over the, the species that we helped to shape through domestication over the last uh, mm-hmm. you know, 100,000 years. It's a hot take. Absolutely. But that's what we're here for. So Giovanni Ribisi 
is he also seems to be playing kind of like a a, a slow-witted character. Yeah, who is kind of um, taken in uh, by the idea of being in this, you know, big fancy army. Right. And being a part of something louder, not louder, larger than himself. He'd be. I'm sure he'd like to get into the larder, get some food, because he's Cause very he's hungry. Quite a, quite a hungry, hungry, hungry Gus. Boy. So is he? I think he's symbolic of, sort of like the. I'm gonna say like I'll bring it back to the uh, the Trump election, sort of like the uh, okay the uh, the stupid Chris follower, Christie. like the centipede. Oh, right, sure. Like the somebody that's easily duped and subsumed into a, a movement yeah um, i think you you meant to feel sorry for him as much as you are to to despise him right yeah like i actually forgot that he ended up getting killed um and i thought that you know like he would be part of the resistance or something because uh, there's no. a sweetness to him but um, it's like the sweetness is subverted by the times and his his lack of intellect is taken advantage of. Um, because this is what happens. Right. It's this, what, is this is what, what demagogues do. do. Yeah. Um, I found out that David Israel was the location manager oh. <laughs> for the postman. Very good. Very good so work, David. So vamping about uh, is, Jeffrey. Is, is he still active? Yes, he is. He did um, Amazing Spider-Man, Mission Impossible, Ghost wow. Protocol. Wow, good yeah. stuff. Zero Dark Thirty. Whoa! So he's he's good at his he's good at his business. He does what he does. What he does. It's one of those jobs. It's like, how many do you really need? So, actually, being like a successful location scout, it's like it's like winning the lottery. Mm -hmm. It's like well, he had three assistants. I mean, when you're at the top of your game, you know, right? People are I gonna, guess people are gonna fall in line. It's it's like um, it's funny the the orchestra contractor um, is it, for a while it was almost always the same person in almost every movie that I saw. Mm -hmm. uh, a woman called Isabel Griffiths, right? Who so I always look for her name in credits now. Like it's the most boring nerdy thing to do, but that's that's James. So she like the uh, the Wilhelm scream of uh, orchestra. Did you say yes. orchestra conductor yeah. or contractor? Con contractors. Contractor. So okay. Presumably wow. she gets all the all the orchestras and hey, you work on this movie. I guess like yeah. I mean like that's the thing. Like once you have somebody that does that, yeah. how many do you need? I mean that's and it. She's in fact so prolific that she has it's it's her company now. Like at, after a certain point, it was no longer orchestra contractor Isabel Griffiths. It was orchestra contracting by Isabel Griffiths Limited or <laughs> whatever the company was called. Do you think we could get I Isabel Griffiths um, like an interview with her? Would that be good? I would actually love to. Um, <laughs> interview her because she's just worked on so many extraordinary films i feel like she would just have you know something to but i know i think she's just like making phone calls on behalf of the production and the people um 
orchestrating the score. It's it's kind true of a go between, isn't the, she? The most interesting part, but like, <laughs> like look uh, at these look writing at these checks. Films. Yeah, but Why like she... I've I've seen them. I think that's like almost as much as she can say to have contributed, other than some 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 business dealings. Mm. Well, if I scroll past that section of her bio of her IMDb page, maybe she's got credits in other departments. I mean, I'm sure she has something to do with like the music industry because she had to have some way of like forming those connections. But I think she might've written a song for children of men. <laughs> I think it's just like, it's not, it's just not very interesting, uh, but let's okay. get her, let's get her on the, let's get her Please. on episode three of the postman biopod theater Biopod presents the postman in three acts act three <laughs> um requiem even though she didn't work on this film i don't think oh oh no we were gonna get uh david israel right was that his name yes david israel the old locations scout okay that's good yeah, so once uh kevin costner is conscripted into the wholeness army we are introduced to the sort of the life of a soldier under that regime. It's basically like yeah. a kind of a boot camp montage scene where we have, yeah. there's a lot of starvation. There's a lot of capricious murder, but like, <laughs> yeah. um, they have to like run 20 miles yeah, or they won't be allowed to eat if like any single person doesn't finish. Which sounds brutal. It sounds very cruel, but yeah. it doesn't sound like it would be very effective. Like if you yeah, if you're trying to actually starve and kill your people, it would be very effective. And usually, those kinds of practices are actually secretly intended to do that. In this case, he's actually trying to build like a, a strong army. You'd think this would be sort of counterproductive. Yeah, and furthermore, would lead to poor discipline and right and all problems. Like I could make like lots of like really um unreasonable demands of people and then kill them if they don't do it but it's not <laughs> going to make them do it any better but apparently uh this bethlehem guy seems to be real charismatic and people just people just eat it up right i guess uh, so he and he and postman um they have a kind of little odd Shakespeare quoting contest. Yeah. Which I think, uh, pretty sure in a recent Trek trudge, we've mentioned this, this kind of exact trope where you just kind of superficially shoehorn some Shakespeare into kind of, uh, show that your, your, your movie gets the canon and, and right. Is, is intellectually satisfying. Right. This, and the, the, this was not written the, by dummies here. This is, yeah, no, no, no. Stuff. Yeah. And the, the the big alarm bell that always rings for me is that the line that they always pick is, of course, the first one that Kevin Costner says, to be or not to be, mm -hmm. that is the question. Like, there's nothing profound about just saying that line just out of the... Like, it's a right. cliche. There's, there's no context to it. What? what is but... it, it doesn't mean anything in the scene. They're just... To be fair to the yes. postman, is this a question of the writer 
being lazy or assuming that the audience won't know other Shakespeare quotes. Uh, like, basically, it's like, we're not really hearing this quote. It's just somebody's quoting Shakespeare. Okay, we get it. They're talking some Shakespeare. Let's move on. The context hey, is irrelevant because I'm not smart yeah, enough okay. to understand. Yeah. I'm going to say it's a little then bit the, of both. The other lines, the other lines I think um, Bethlehem was sort of better at kind of tangentially uh, making it relevant to the situation at hand. So he... Uh, he's, did like we few we happy few we band of brothers in reference right. to his gang mm-hmm. um so oh well there's a there's a little bit of effort happening there but it's it's still bizarre and it still made me go what the fuck i think um i was pretty unclear on kevin costner's sort of characterization here like it seemed like of course he wasn't happy to be there it seems like they're sort of presenting him as having like a rebellious spirit, mm. but he's also sort of like very passive and um, meek in these scenes. And yeah. also like when he was talking to Shakespeare, was he, like, was he genuinely pretending to act there or was he like being passive aggressive and saying, well, I can repeat the Shakespeare, but I'm not going to put any heart into it. Because, like, he wasn't, like, actually acting. He was just quoting no. the lines. Um, maybe, maybe that was, uh, like, Costner was acting as acting. Right. Because like, you know. Bethlehem was, like, like, chewing the scenery. He was like, oh, to be on. Yeah, or what, I, what yeah, did yeah, he yeah. say? Like, uh... Um, uh now, no, he didn't say that line. Um... Uh, cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. Yeah, he was like really getting into it, and then like you would have thought that maybe if like the postman was really into Shakespeare, which he didn't actually seem to be, he would have mm. maybe gotten into it too. And if he wasn't, then was that him being like rebellious? I don't know. I don't know. It was just sort of like it was. It was very uh, low energy, you know, like like a yeah. Jeb Bush. Well, I. <laughs> I guess maybe the the contrast was what Costner was going for there. I guess, like the overly theatrical villain and and the the relatable everyman. Right. Um. So uh, right so after that, they feed. They steal his uh, donkey. And oh yeah! Somehow they render it into some kind of gray mush, but then mm. they attempt to um, very appetizing. Eat Kevin Costner, he refuses to eat the donkey. There was a scene where um, he was watching them sort of torture the donkey from a distance, where it looked like the donkey was genuinely distressed. I mean, the actor donkey, like yeah, they should have what? had like PETA on the set there keeping an eye on things because that did not I mean, look it, like a happy animal. It had the American Humane Association disclaimer at the end, so... You checked for that. Oh, yeah. You were concerned about the donkey. Of course, yeah. I think that they uh, will, like, rubber stamp these things. Oh, if, like, okay. If, like... You know, nothing was nothing was deliberately killed or or injured or harmed. But it's like I feel like 
that donkey was in some emotional distress there for our our, our entertainment i'm gonna t- i'm gonna actually talk to kevin about action. this when we interview him so that, this is so we're we're changing tack again we're actually not going to be pitching anymore it, we're this this is actually gonna, be gonna be a hit gotcha journalism yep yeah all right i'm on the same page now um so they eat the donkey. He um he gives his food to Giovanni Rabisi, who was last in line. So uh, you, if you're last in line, you don't get to eat, right? Because we have to starve. Like this would decimate your people. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's like there's there's definitely some logic to it in terms of like reign of terror, um, you know, hardening people. But I think it's <laughs> like a little bit of a mixed metaphor. Where you're talking about also trying to build like a like a like a, an actual functioning army, like not feeding uh-huh. your your men, like may, maybe if you have like a prison camp, then you're you're doing stuff like that. But uh, yeah, maybe it's maybe maybe it's a little both, survival of the fittest, that kind of thing. Mm. Weed out the weak. Um, and we learn uh, very abruptly that. Uh, the, the folks in the wholeness army, they're big into movies. Yep. And the movie that they're biggest into is The Sound of Music. Yes. And this is... They, they love it. They tried to show Universal Soldier starring Dolph yeah. Lundgren. But, but everybody it, but... booed and threw rocks until they acquiesced and, and put on The um, Sound of Music. Yeah. So... What fuck, first of all. Um, secondly, what this sort of made me think of is, are you familiar uh, with the the people who wrote a paper about the formula for Oscar bait? No. So there was an academic who uh, did like a statistical analysis of uh, films that won Oscars and determined mm. uh, which factors were most likely to net you an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And one of them was movies about the movies. So right. like movies that are about uh, like projectionists or the movie business or whatever, they, they do tend to get movies, they do tend to get awards. And yep. um, uh, then other, other things were like, um, you know, set during traumatic periods in history or, you know, um, probably something to do with race, like all sorts mm-hmm. of things like that. Um, and, the, the formula that they came up with, um, they tried to find the movie that uh, most, uh, like, like ticked every box and, and mm-hmm. seemed to be the most Oscar-baitiest of movies. And uh, it, it was a film called Come See the Paradise that they came up with, which had Dennis Quaid in it playing a projectionist in, the, like, Prohibition era whose wife was, like, a Japanese-American who was um, interned because they wow. were interning. And so, like, it, it ticked all the boxes. Yeah. But it won no awards. <laughs> <laughs> um, it kind of reminds and... me of, like, the, like, I think Netflix has a, a similar algorithm that they yeah. they use to try to make, like, original programming. Like, they can look at all their data and, like, oh, well, people actually seem to watch a lot of Kevin Spacey movies. Let's Let's cast him. Yeah, but I think it actually works for them. It sounds like it didn't work in in this case. It's like yeah. um, Moneyball, uh, but with movies, statistical analysis. Sure. 
sports. Never saw many people. It's about um, yeah, like extreme like statistical analysis for for baseball. Don't they say that he wrecked baseball by doing that? Um, probably. Or, yeah. So, um, that that that's kind of the impression that I I get from this. I don't know if like because there seem to be a lot of sort of meta touches like from Kevin Costner saying to his donkey co-star I'm the one with all the lines to now yeah. we've got they're watching the movies and they hate this movie and then, it, it all seems like very movies about the movies well I think it's it's it was kind of funny because it was like um, it was sort of like a cynical jab at movies like Universal Soldier mm-hmm. And like, sort of. I think you're right. Just, like, sort of a meta, meta Hollywood. Sort of like, these are the real classics. This is what people really want <laughs> when it comes down to it. But this, we're in a movie that really doesn't transcend the level of quality of of Universal Soldier, uh, which, is the, <laughs> which is the sad thing. I mean, it, at least Universal Soldier was a little bit more honest about what it was. This is trying to be something far beyond mm-hmm. what it actually and, manages. And to it was all, it's also the, the, exactly the thing that you mentioned earlier. It's quite jarring because these, you know, the apocalypse was 15 years ago. Right. Everyone's looking at Mad Max, but you know they're screening Universal Soldier, which like oh probably came out like what five years before. So it's, yeah, it's it's, it's, so... it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. like this is set in 2013. And it's ostensibly what fifteen years after some kind of apocalypse event. So yeah. that's what nineteen ninety-seven. Ninety wasn't it? Ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. Bombs I, just, I was just trying to do the arithmetic. I failed. Um, but this was released. So basically, the apocalypse happened the year this was released, or just possibly, after. Possibly as a result of it being released. Yeah, that was it. But then, where did the movie come from? So that's 15 years. What happened 15 years ago from today? We're talking about 1990. 9/11. Yeah. It seems like a very long time ago. Maybe it could have maybe things could have really gone downhill in this amount of time since 9/11. I mean, yeah, like I was a I was a young kid when 9/11 happened, so like I guess I'm kind of like Ford Lincoln Mercury. Yeah. You are you are Ford Lincoln Mercury, like in, in your heart. Yeah. So uh, they watch the they watch the sound of music and sorry, what were you saying? Uh, you know that was a spoiler, so I'm just gonna we'll, we'll oh, leave that one now. You put a spoiler in about yeah. one of the second or third act of the. Yeah, I apologize. It was very unprofessional of me. Yeah. Um. So the the last thing that I'd say about uh, this um screening movies is it's obvious that um uh these people don't want to be soldiers that that would be right because they want to watch the feel good musical movie they don't want to watch the movie that um probably bethlehem has selected to say i want you to be like dolph lundgren Mm -hmm. i want you to be killing machines so watch this hyper masculine movie about machine guns right so kevin costner as the postman decides he wants to escape. Yep, he wants out. He wants out of this deal. 
because it yeah. sucks. It's bad for everybody. So um, they go on some kind of run, right? I, sk- I, I, I have to. I started fast forwarding at this point because I was running out of time. But like, <laughs> right? Yeah, you you skip the laws of eight, which maybe we can go over next time. Oh yeah, the laws of eight. It's so critically important for some reason. I might not have skipped that, but I'm not remembering. What are the laws of eight? Oh, okay, sure. Um, so the laws of eight are very specifically laid out, and go figure. You, um, despite the fact that we're dealing with a demagogue and like an authoritarian uh, dictator, they they they're followed pretty much to the letter. Right. Um, law law one: you will obey orders without question. I mean, obvious enough. Law two: punishment shall be swift. I mean, it seems less like a law, but whatever. Right. Law three: mercy is for the weak. Law mm-hmm. four, terror will defeat reason. Again, don't really seem like laws, but mm-hmm. law five, your allegiance is to the clan. Law six, justice can be dictated. That one's mm-hmm. crucial for an authoritarian, I think. Law seven, any clansman may challenge for leadership of the clan. And right. law eight, there is only one penalty, death. Right. And he uses, um, for that last example, a man who did not sit when told because he didn't have a chair so his point was you well you could have sat on the ground but you didn't so you disobeyed a rule and really obviously it's like this is not about killing this guy it's about just proving an example yeah yeah that this is this is serious and this is uh you know it's pretty it's actually a pretty pretty brutal scene um it's uh you know it's 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 hard to watch it's hard to watch did this scene disturb you, James? Um, no, I recall being amused. I think. Perhaps You're I'm heartless. A, a You're psychopath. heartless. So, um, Bethlehem sort of cuts this guy's throat um, <laughs> while he's reading out all these the rules of eight, which yeah, like I, I feel like the they didn't really need to be eight. Some of those were sort of implicit. Or sort of consequences of rules and instead of rules themselves. I guess uh, kind of like a, a Ten Commandments sort of situation. You feel like some stuff might be missing. Right, right. There might there might be something missing in there. Um, but that's okay, I guess. And then right after that, we learned that the last man to invoke Law Seven or whichever it was, the challenging for leadership, uh, was uh, the general sidekick. Uh, played by Joe Santos, who and the character's name was Colonel Getty. Getty, old Getty. Um, yeah, I and think he, he was um, the actual, actually the founder of Getty Images. Yeah, making a cameo appearance. Yeah, and uh, it, the the fight between them lasted a mere seven seconds, I believe, mm-hmm. and then after that. Um, somehow, I don't really know how the logistics of this went. Um, uh, the general cut out his tongue mm-hmm. and then cut off his testicles. In that order? In that order. With the same knife? Maybe. Did he wash the knife? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know anything. Like, I, I, I guess he won the fight and then had him tied up or whatever. Cause I find it difficult to imagine that like in a fight you could, you know, kind of reach in there and, and, and cut someone's tongue out. And I had the impression that it was like after he won, 
Yeah. Then this was sort of like a punishment for the guy. It's interesting because like uh, this guy doesn't seem that tough, Bethlehem. Uh, no, it's it's kind of odd, doesn't it? Like may- it's maybe this conscious. plays out later, but like. I mean, is he actually like a good fighter, or like? Because I would, I can see him holding on to power through like, you know, skullduggery and manipulation. Yeah, and then then basically reinforcing that that power structure. But like, on, on a one on one basis, if you can have that rule, it doesn't doesn't seem like he would. Um, yeah, survive. It, it, I mean, he seems. He seems to be like reasonable. Um, I guess he does just uh, make it by, um, uh, you know, having having tough guy uh, sidekicks. Right. She has but, a few off. But you would think that, like, one of those sidekicks, which it seems they did, would try to actually, you know, overthrow him. So then mm. it, it seems inconsistent. It seems inconsistent. Well, you know... Um, uh, I, I was watching this uh, with my boyfriend today, and and he took issue with the fact that uh, the 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 um, wholeness seemed to be so self destructive. And well, I, I I pointed out that hey, maybe um, that w- was perhaps the point to show that fascism is kind of inherently self destructive, right? Like because this is sort of a mawkish film and, you know, that, that seems like the sort of point that a mawkish film would want to make. But I think, I mean, I think the, the, the missing piece is that the, the, the fascists, they will be very cruel, but if you're in the in-group, you, you're, you're protected, right? Okay. Like, that's how you hold on to power is that the people that you surround yourself with should be like um, sort of taken care of and have some incentive to maintain the status quo where they're actually not doing that in this case. They're, they're sort of just brutally abusing their, their own mm-hmm. people. But maybe this is a difference between being sort of a recent conscript and sort of, uh, you know, career. Like a um, front house deal. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the deal with that pretty much. Um, uh, the, one of the other tough guy sidekicks, um, he, he uses a, he uses a rude word, uh, to the, to the African American gentleman. Yes. Which, um, we shan't Which, repeat. Yep. But, uh, are you allowed to say that word in movies if you're a bad guy? Like lately, you probably wouldn't get away with it now, would you? Uh, no, you know you, you you can. I mean, did you see um, what's it called? The uh, Quentin Tarantino. Well, I guess any Quentin Hateful Tarantino Eight? movie. Um, sorry. Oh, the the one with this this uh, Django Unchained. Yeah, Django Unchained. Yeah. Right. It's pretty 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 off pretty off the off the chain. I guess so. The, and the, the there's language. a similar intention of um, making making racists look very bad. Right. So it's. I mean, I, I I don't necessarily object to that. I just I I personally don't yeah. feel the need to repeat it myself because I'm such a high-minded <laughs> individual. And then right after that, we're watching a, a a John Wayne movie up on the movie screen again. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, in the, and another kind of very sort of meta touch, the 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 John Wayne movie melts into the next scene, mm-hmm. where it's it's like the scene that's being projected onto the movie screen. Uh, we just zoom in on it, and it becomes the next scene of someone riding on horseback. Interesting. I think I missed yeah. that very artful transition, and it's yeah. this where we're now getting to the escape that's right we're going on the hunt for a lion so okay right guess so what they're hunting back. Lion. the lion's back uh, and the the guy i i especially noted this because i thought it was relevant the the guy says what the hell are you waiting for christmas <laughs> <clears throat> yeah so, so it is christmas when 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 this was released so yeah at, at this point um giovanni rabisi has ratted out the postman's plan to escape Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the one who gets picked to go after the lion mm-hmm. because of course that's, that's a great idea. Get the guy who's trying to escape on his own and, right. and give, give him, him the a opportunity. Knife. Yeah. He goes across this extraordinary bridge, which I have no idea. Like I had no idea that there are even like real bridges like that. It looks like something out of like Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. Do you think they built it for the movie or is that just like a regular bridge See, it they seems have? Like going? Too, too big a deal to make you like know just for like a movie genuine infrastructure yeah although they clearly like rickety it up because uh, why don't we um we could add this to the list if you want yep uh for Kevin. mr costner what about the bridge did you build that bridge for the postman um, or was it there do you find the bridge or ooh, this could be a question for israel david israel Absolutely. I would like, have many, have many, many questions for that. A rope bridge, or did they have to build one? Presumably, he would have had nothing to do with the building of the bridge. No, that would be but the he production would have to find manager? a good spot for it. Or the yeah. production, de- it'd be the production designer. But yeah, but, but that's only yeah. once they found a location for the bridge. Yes. Which would be David Israel's uh, job. Get a good old ravine. Mm-hmm. Got an interface between the departments. Yeah. But anyway, um, uh, he goes and finds the guy that the lion ate, um, picks him up, uh, walks him back, and jumps off the bridge. Right. And I, I, I got to ask, Mr. Costner, did you do that for real? Because it was pretty spectacular. It was sort of like a scene in another movie that could have had Kevin Costner in it, but didn't. <laughs> the Fugitive. Ah, yes. Where um, um, Han Solo jumps off the, mm-hmm. uh, the dam. He, he was Han Solo in that, right? He's a that's, fugitive. that's right. He's there's, fugitive there's from uh, Jabba Hutt. Jabba Hutt. Yeah. From Star Wars. He has, he has the money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, he, he jumps off, and then a fucking other guy jumps off the bridge. They, they send the, the black guy after him. So... How deep was the water? Do you think they would have survived that uh, that fall? Well, it was running water, so they they say that's better because the surface tension's broken. Yeah, that makes sense. I really have no idea. Though. Like, I if that were me, James, I would not have jumped off that bridge. Probably would have probably would have died. Yeah, i i would have I would have been dead by this point. I doubt that Kevin Costner himself jumped off the bridge. 
No, I actually doubt that uh, Kevin Costner jumped on the trampoline at the start as well. I feel like uh, there <laughs> was stunt. artful employment of doubles. Stunt Costner. Yeah. Get him the same hair. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he swims away. He's a bit wet, um, and he gets uh, confronted by uh, Mr. Rabisi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't want any trouble. Like, you know, like... Yeah. Just, just leave it, man. I don't want to be part of your army. But uh, unfortunately, Giovanni calls uh, for assistance yeah. because he's been, he's been taken in by the con, yeah. and so he has to die. So he gets so he, he gets stabs stabbed. him in the, in the gut, right? Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. This is not a good way to to kill a, a guy. I mean, not not very humane. Hmm. Could have maybe just like, I don't know, cut his throat. Is that more humane or less? I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, probably uh, it would take longer. Yeah. Maybe but really, that's not to uh, contemplate. Yeah. So the um, other guy that whose name we don't know. We don't know any of these guys' names. <laughs> Um, the African American gentleman yep. is uh, he comes upon the scene, and um, he he's also gonna have like a knife fight with uh, with Kevin Costner. Yeah, and um, I guess this is before like so this is the, this guy named um, Idaho is like one oh, of that um, his name? yeah the, the version the... I watched had some. Uh, some captions so i did get some of, the, some of the character names but i think that they only captioned the name if we knew it if they had one yeah so i, I idaho i saw a lot so he was the guy um i think he was actually also in uh, saving private ryan with giovanni ribisi so, how ironic i don't think it was ironic <laughs> <laughs> just sort of a fact uh, but so he he uh, this Idaho guy comes on this like potential knife fight and he's like you get him boy and it's kind of an awkward exchange where like he decides to just throw the knife at this guy like instead yeah. of fighting Kevin Costner couldn't they have like figured something out like some other plan like maybe like fake him out somehow and like get him into like a headlock or something i don't know like i feel like this was well, not very well done it's tricky they had to improvise yeah um so the the guy that played idaho was named um james russo uh he doesn't seem to have been in saving private ryan however he was in a film called my own private idaho oh idaho was not in in private ryan no huh one can only speculate about the subject of my own private idaho um I, yeah, I my own private Idaho. I remember that. I have no, I have no idea what's, what it's about. Pornographic but spinoff. Of... It, it seems like um, he was typecast as somebody that would be either named Idaho or, or live in Idaho. State. Yeah, maybe he was like really into potatoes. Maybe. Yeah, anyway, I, I don't know he, who I was thinking of. It, I guess, I guess he wasn't in uh, Saving Private Ryan. Sorry. Yeah, he gets it. 
he gets the knife, um, but that that doesn't quite uh, do him in. He he still uh, yet pursues uh, Postman, and um, uh, he he makes reference to some uh, like there's some paradise that um, that Postman has that that he's like trying to reach. I think it's like what Rose water or rose rose hill or something yeah something like that so he says like, i'll give you your rose hill <laughs> and promptly gets eaten by the lion yeah yeah who the somehow there. went down the ravine to uh to the river around where they are just just happened to wander that way mm-hmm. so um the lion came into play yet again yeah, very, very amusing to watch a man get eaten by a lion. Yeah. There was a lion in um, um, another post-apocalyptic movie, 12 Monkeys. There's a random lion in that, too. Yeah. This is just the thing. It's just, like, jarring to see a lion where a lion doesn't belong. That's just, like, somebody figured that out in it just two means separate cases. Yeah. Somehow... If there's a lion there, it's not supposed to be there. This is a dark future. Yeah. It's it's clear. Is it possible that it's like a metaphor for uh, Bob Marley? Wasn't he like a like a lion or something? Okay, but 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 wherein lies the the metaphor? <laughs> I hadn't gotten there yet. Um <laughs> he what is he like for like Jamaican independence? So Yeah. So does he represent the spirit of of independence? Yes, sure. Let's say ah. that. Well done. Well, that's that. That's it. That's as far as this is going to go. And uh, I, I think that is uh, pretty much as far as we're going to go because we're pretty much at um, the hour mark. We're we're about fifty yeah. minutes in. So I mean, postman finds a mail truck. Yes. He, which has some booze in it, which he's very happy about. Yeah. And, and he puts very, on a male uniform. Very amusing, like, two-minute sequence where he turns, he finds a cigarette lighter and turns it on and just grunts pleasurably at, at, the, at the warmth and light of this object and just keeps grunting. And the thought of Kevin Costner directing himself grunting for two minutes... <laughs> Over a, over a cigarette lighter is just just dreadfully appealing to me. Do you think that there was like somebody standing by that was like maybe we should maybe this is enough of this? <laughs> like they couldn't say anything because I Kevin think Costner's I think the they're all just looking at each other and and wordlessly uh, communicating. It's for the paycheck. Yeah, it's for the eighty million dollar paycheck that we're getting. So at the end of the first hour he has put on the postal uniform yeah and he comes upon a settlement uh over which uh kruger from seinfeld seems to be the uh, (laughs) boss Um, yeah the beautiful settlement of pine view oregon pine view oregon and he concocts this uh this ruse about being a real mailman 
So really, um, we 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 could have called this anything that wasn't postman because there was no postman until the last bit. Oh, here we go. Here we go. The pre-man. The pre. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's what we call postmen before they become postmen. Pre-man. Okay. So I think that's it, right, James? This is the first yeah. hour done. And this was basically yes. the creation, the origin story of the postman. This is, mm-hmm. And this is his uh, sort of point of departure. Yeah, as in, the mod- new... in the modern cinematic universe style, this would be like, I don't know, the, your first Iron Man movie. Right. Um, then we're, we're gonna if only, if only they could have stretched this out to two hours. That would have been great. I would like oh, to see, boy. actually, a trilogy of three-hour Postman movies with each of the hours yeah. um, expanded to three hours. We could get more of like that build the, the mule action. Yeah. They really could have done a lot of great stuff with it, with a full nine-hour. Um, Imagine how many more Shakespeare quotes they could have fit in. They could have done a whole Shakespeare play. Just put that in. Right in the middle. Yeah. With like act breaks where they're actually like just eating. <laughs> okay. So I think that's where we can stop. And um, how many people do you think are still listening to this? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it. Yeah. So th- we know at least one person one. will yeah. have listened to us talk. And it will be one of the people talking. I'll, I'll probably skip around a little bit, you know. I won't maybe won't do the full hour and a half. That's excusable. <laughs> We've actually talked about the first hour of Postman for longer than the first hour of Postman. So that's good. See, we're we're living the dream. We're making it even longer than it already is. I actually sort of thought it might be fun to do podcasts on each ten minute increment of the Postman. Can you imagine and how much yes. we could unpack? Yes, please. <laughs> Let's go back. Let's erase this. We'll All start right. over. I will really, will really pull apart that first ten minute sequence with the gas station. I mean, I think we we probably did about twenty five minutes on the first ten minutes. So that's good. Yeah. This is all great stuff. We're 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 on we're on schedule. <laughs> okay, James. Well, this has been great. Thank you for uh, for joining. Um, and everybody, thanks for for listening in and tune in for. Episode two, part two, act two of Biopod presents the Postman in three acts. Cannot wait. Me neither. Okay. See you later. Ciao for now. Post goodbye. Postman goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>